Welcome back to the sermon podcast from Redlands First United Methodist Church. We we're glad you've joined us. Making the intentional choice to align ourselves with the unfolding reign of God is a profound, even a momentous choice. While the text for this week from Luke's Gospel talks about conflict in Jesus' coming, it doesn't mean that Jesus comes into our midst like a wrecking ball. Jesus doesn't come spoiling for a fight. The division that Jesus speaks of that is related to his ministry comes not because Jesus instigates it. The conflict comes when the people who continue to stand in opposition to what God is doing persist in holding on to the behaviors and attitudes that continue to create harm, division, oppression, and marginalization in the human community. The conflict comes, for instance, when those who doggedly hold on to white supremacist attitudes continue the actions to marginalize people of color. This is an important distinction for us. While it is easy to characterize Jesus' emotion in this text as anger, I think there's more to it than that. Anger is certainly present, but I think beneath the anger is a deep and profound sadness. The people who should have been the ones to most understand and align with Christ's ministry have proven themselves to be among the most obstinate to the coming reign of God. These folks have chosen their own power, privilege, and prestige over becoming a part of God's coming kingdom. To choose to align ourselves with God means that we must choose ultimately between God's way and our way. It is a momentous choice. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what a stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, It is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? But the church hear what the Spirit is saying. We We are are listening. listening. Friends, I would invite you to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I've got a quote for you this morning. Uh, Bonus points to uh, the, the person that can tell me who said it. Okay? Hand on your buzzers. Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern 
is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Abraham Lincoln is correct. Mm, Abraham Lincoln. So, question is, for, for extra points, do you know when he said it, roughly? Civil War, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it, it is a presidential quote, so that does narrow it down. But at the height of the Civil War, the great struggle to preserve the Union, the great struggle to preserve human dignity, to end the scourge of chattel slavery, which would seem at face value to be a righteous undertaking, Lincoln isn't claiming automatically God's sanctification for this endeavor. Not raising that banner. It's, it's very interesting because it's a, it's a, it is a very great departure from the Battle Hymn of the Republic, say. Right? He's more interested in making sure that he's on God's side and not taking anything for granted. This is, this is a, a, a profound quote. And it, it really is a reflection of what we've been sharing, what we've been reflecting on, talking about in worship these last um, few weeks. It is, it's, it's an incredibly crucial witness to faith and the idea of who we are called to be relative to God and to one another. This is really a reflection of, if you, if you can remember back when we talked a few weeks ago and we unpacked Luke's rendering of the Lord's Prayer. And we got to the place where we talked about where Jesus is teaching His disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. You know, we, we kind of just, so much of the, the Lord's Prayer we go through with rote. But when Jesus is teaching His disciples to pray that, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus is teaching his disciples, Jesus is teaching us that we are making a profound and radically life-altering and world-altering prayer. That God's reign, as Christ reveals, this, a reign of mercy, justice, compassion, reconciliation, that we are praying, we are trying to align ourselves, we want to align ourselves with that to be a reality in our midst. It's incredibly profound. Now, as, as, we, as we unpack the, the text that Kimberly read just a moment ago, it's important for us to really think through what this means. Not only what Jesus is saying, when I, do, when I don't come to bring... Peace, but division, you know, right, I can hear your brakes screeching at that point, okay? Because those are difficult words. I come with a baptism and a, a fire and how I wish it were already kindled. <laughs> Boy, those are, those are really strong words coming out of Jesus' mouth. But within context, he's basically saying at this point that God does not come into our lives. Jesus does not come into our lives 
to validate our structures. Jesus doesn't come into our life to validate our view of the world. Jesus comes and He reflects something altogether different. Now for a lot of us, that's, that is uh, an obvious statement. That God does not come to validate our view of the world. Because after all, I mean, look at what passes for the human view of the world. And yet there are people who will use this text, you know, of an angry Jesus, of a vengeful Jesus, of a Jesus who comes like a wrecking ball, spoiling for a fight. And, and, and the problem with that is that, and, and I, can, I can hear some of your wheels turning, we, we, we shy away from that. We shy away from that notion of, of angry Jesus coming in to disrupt everything. Because it's uncomfortable for us. That's not the Jesus that we meet in other parts of the Gospel. This is not the Jesus who, who, um, who talks about the compassion of the Father for a son who was a piece of work. But then also, on the other hand, this angry Jesus can easily be weaponized by some. Jesus is angry. There's the right way, and there's the wrong way. And if you're right, you're good. If you're wrong, well, you know what happens then, don't you? And no wonder people want to shy away from that. Because in the, in the mouth of people who would weaponize it for their own gain, all it does is create more pain, more harm, more division within the community. Which is fundamentally not what Jesus is about. What if there were another way to look at it? What if when Jesus comes and he, and he says these words, I don't come to bring peace, but division. What if it's not anger? What if it's not a desire to come in and just clean house because he's having a bad day? And all these people that are a thorn in his side, a pain in his, just wants to make them all go away. What if Jesus has a, what if Jesus is experiencing a different emotion? What if it's not anger, purely? What if it's sadness? I mean, that deep kind of gut wrenching sadness that it's it's tinged with anger because you recognize it 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 doesn't have to be this way it shouldn't be this way but it is the depth of emotion for the for for the that Jesus has for for the people of Israel the people who should have understood what the messiah would bring the people who should have known what the reign of god the kingdom of god the beloved community would look like. 
The people who should have been the first ones in line to say, here I am, send me, are the ones who are being the most obstinate, the most resistant, are expressing the most opposition to what God is doing because they just simply cannot let go of their own view of the world. You know, we talked before the, the seven last words of the church. We've never done it that way before. Okay? You know how horribly painful and toxic, I mean, we laugh about it because we recognize that there's a certain ludicrous nature about it, but at certain levels of toxicity, that becomes damaging to the whole human community because the resistance to change, the resistance to not just change for change's sake, but the resistance to the Spirit's movement that will help us respond to the challenges of tomorrow and not the challenges of yesterday. We've dealt with yesterday. What comes next? What does it look for, look like for us to live faithfully into this image that Jesus gives of the reign of God? Not last year, not pre-COVID, not 1955, but what is it going to look like on, let's see, today's the 14th. What is it going to look like on August 15th, 2022? What things are we going to learn new in faith? and understanding, so that we're not one of those obstinate people, not one of those obstinate communities that bring sadness. What if what Jesus is, is describing is just the reality the reality that exists within all human relationships when there are people who are resistant to learning and growing. This idea that, that God does not validate, God does not come to validate our view of the world can be a really difficult thing. And we, we see it in the world today in so many ways, and we see it in so many in so many expressions of the body of Christ, a resistance to a deeper understanding and a doubling down on ideas that are harmful. God does not come into the world today. Christ did not come into the world today to validate Christian nationalism or Christian triumphalism. Christ did not come into the world to, to teach us to validate white supremacy. Jesus does not come to validate transphobia or homophobia or Islamophobia or misogyny or toxic masculinity or the prosperity gospel or income inequality. God does not come to validate any of that. That's our stuff. That's our stuff. What Jesus does is he comes to proclaim, not only in what he says, 
but in the ways that He lives and loves and shares that the reign of God, the ultimate expression of compassion, okay, and again, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, compassion. We, we tend to, to um, confuse sometimes compassion with pity, okay? That compassion is this kind of amorphous feeling sorry for people. But compassion, if you break down the word, compassion is to travel with, calm is with, Passion is to travel, to be with, to be present with. We are called to be present with the same people that Jesus was present with. Jesus didn't hang out in the palace with Herod. Didn't do brunch with Pontius Pilate. Jesus was with the people who had been pushed to the side and marginalized whose lives represented pain and brokenness. And he didn't, you know, as the, the expression I've used with you before, he didn't come in from the suburbs to do that. He lived with, ate with, slept with, walked with, lived with people. That's compassion. Jesus comes to reflect compassion as the core element of God's reign in our midst. Jesus, we've, we've talked about what Jesus doesn't come to validate. What He does come to validate is this image of God's compassion. Self-giving love. Expressed simply in the phrase, greater love has no one. Hmm? than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Greater love has no one than to lay down one's life. It's an act of compassion. Th these are challenging words because it, it breaks into every human interaction that we have at the height and at the depth, even possibly in families. And it's not, again, it's not that Jesus comes in to, to um, our families with a wrecking ball just because He can, just to automatically divide parents and children because, well, why not? But the reality is, the reality is that there will be conflict within the human community and in every aspect when there are people who hold on to, with a death grip, the kinds of attitudes and behaviors that bring harm to others. Many of you know um, a lot about my story, and you can imagine that this text is very personal to me. The conflict that I had with my own father, the abuse that I suffered at his hands, mostly emotional, but some physical as well. That we, he expressed to my mom one day that he was angry at God for taking me away from him, which is 
adventures and missing the point. And, as, and, and I've never shied away from preaching this text because it is so personal to me. And yet this week God gave me a gift. We're sharing with Kimberly this morning. This is the first time I've preached this. This is the first time that it's come up within the lectionary since my father died in November of 2019. And a lot has happened in, in my life, my understanding, as I have unpacked things. And one of the things that I came to understand, I used to feel guilty about this conflict. Sometimes I would feel guilty that I said yes to God to do this work. But what I realized is that this was not a conflict between a father and a son about the son's chosen vocation. As a person who had narcissistic personality disorder and was a malignant narcissist, he wanted to take, a, take, the, take the center of my life. Instead of being a, a, a father to me, like I tried to be to my kids, he wanted to be the center of my life. He wanted all of my attention, all of the time, without regard to the fact that, okay, I have a very demanding career, I have a wife, and I have children, and I have you know things outside. Didn't care, didn't matter. I wasn't choosing between my father and my calling. I was choosing between living a life of faithful response to the grace that God had given me. And not that. Because there would have been no room. As a matter of fact, in so many ways, before the relationship became broken, there was no room. There was no room for me to be me. And that caused great harm. And, and that's the thing. Jesus is identifying the things that are life-giving and the things that are life-denying. And he's asking people who would follow him to make a choice. A momentous choice to be sure, but a simple choice. A choice that, the, that, that people of faith have said from the very beginning. Life and death. God and not God. Choose. I mean, choose. The choice is yours. But as for me, as, the, as, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will choose God. We live in a time where there are so many strident voices. And this week was another example of some very, very harmful, very damaging words out in the world. Words of Words that, that were reckless and put people at risk and very nearly caused harm. And it, it makes me angry. 
but more so it grieves me deeply that some of these voices that would seek to be so divisive and cause so much harm to people and put so many lives at risk came out of the church, came out from the mouths of people who say they represent Christ. That's not who we are, friends. If we are to live into the image of, of the Christ who teaches us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Thanks be to God. If that is our prayer, then the choice that we make about how we see the world and how we frame the world and how we expect God to continue to teach us and grow us will follow a pretty specific path. And it is in times like these, friends, where it is so vitally important for us to seek Christ. To seek Christ in Scripture, to seek a deeper understanding, to, read, to open up our Bibles, to read the Gospels, and to read the story of Jesus, and to pray while we're reading these stories of Jesus. Okay, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Help me make sense of this. Help me see what Jesus is teaching us about your love, about your presence. Be a part of a worshiping community. Whether you are here in this space or you're watching online, continue to be and to invest in communities that will help you learn and grow and understand. Because it is, it is only in the learning and the growing and the understanding that in a, in a time like this, that we will understand who we're called to be in Christ. How we live into the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Redlands First United Methodist Church. I hope that it has been a source of inspiration and encouragement for your spiritual journey. If you're interested in more information about the church, we would invite you to come to our website at redlandsfirstchurch.org. We hope you will join us in person, online, or via this podcast each week as together we open our lives to the movement of the Holy Spirit, that we might grow in faith and be strengthened in the ways that we reflect Christ's presence in the world. Mm -hmm.